It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is March 13th, 2018. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. You can follow me, of course, on Twitter at R underscore OMD. And we are here today to preview the NCAA tournament with from the NBA perspective. I'm joined by, uh, can I call you a resident draft guru, Ricky? Uh, Ricky Skricka <laughs> of, of OrlandoMagicDaily.com. He's written a lot of great draft pre- posts for us on Orlando Magic Daily. I'll share some of those out throughout the day on the Locked On Magic Facebook page. Um, if you haven't read them already, uh, he's done a great job. I'm sure there's more to come. Ricky, h- how are you doing this tournament week? I'm doing real good. Definitely excited. Going to be a lot of really, really interesting guys to watch. I think this class is just super interesting and has some underrated depth to it. So yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm always the one that uh, that that tries to downplay the draft every year because, especially with Magic fans, with the Magic Magic drafting so high uh, every year, it seems like uh, mm-hmm. it, I, I feel like I'm always trying to say. Hey guys, don't put all your eggs into this draft basket. I mean, the the lottery is the lot. I mean, everyone knows how I feel about the the lottery and and tanking and all that. And I'm always saying, you know, the lottery is the lottery. You know, you kind of get what you can get and hope it turns out for the best, or hope or have faith that you can develop it out for the best. Uh, and so I'm always I, I've been kind of saying with this draft class that there are seven very good players, definitely seven very good players, and that's why I'm I've never been worried about where the Magic are drafting. Uh, but they're all players with flaws in my mind, and so I'm trying. Not, I'm trying to say say that you can't throw your eggs all into this draft basket. But am I wrong? Am I wrong to say that? Or are, are there ready-made superstars in this draft, in your opinion? Ready-made superstars are are hard to come by. But I mean, right at the top two, you got Doncic and Jaron Jackson Jr. Both of those guys, I think, are as close to a ready-made superstar as you'll find in any draft. Um, just guys with ridiculous basketball intellect and just incredible skills that and they're, and they're as proven as can be really, especially Doncic. Um, as, as you get down farther, obviously, you know, no prospect is perfect, but there are you got a perfect mix of guys with super high upside like Mohamed Bamba, just with that just in, intriguing talent, intriguing physical frame. Can't you miss got, the dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you got higher floor guys like Mikhail Bridges. Um, it's just a great mix of prospects that, you know, that project as great role players, potential, just game changing superstars. Um, and it, it go really, uh, like I said, this class is some underrated depth. It really goes all the way throughout, um, the first and second round, I think. So. Yeah. And I, and I already have good people ask me who the magic might go after in the second round. The magic will be picking probably 33rd, 34th, 35th in the second round, as well as in, as well as early forties, like 40th, 41st. Um, and you never know, you could package that and move up back into the first round if that's the direction the Magic want to go. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you mentioned there Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and so I got I to gotta call, call you out a little bit because um, that's a little bit 
off the beaten path among most of the draft people, uh, mm-hmm. uh, most of the draft observers. Um, I, I released my top 10 on yesterday's episode of Locked On Magic during the Orlando Magic Daily Facebook Live. You tweeted out your top 10, your top 10 big board. And so we'll, we'll, we'll suss some of this out, but let's, let's start with mine. I, you know, I'm maybe a little more conventional, but, and, and I watch probably more pros than, than college still. I've watched most of the top guys at least once or twice, at least twice by now. Um, but I, my list goes Donkic, Aiton. Then I have Bamba at three, Jaron Jackson at four, Marvin Bagley at five, Trey Young at six, and then Michael Porter Jr. at seven, with um, with Mikal Bridges at eight, uh, Wendell Carter at nine, and Colin Sexton at ten. Your list is a little different. Um, do, do I have your tweet in front of me. Do you want me to read it, or or, or can you can you can you spout it off the top of your head? Yeah, I, I got it right here, actually. Yeah, so I I also have Luka Doncic at number one, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. number two, Aiton number three. Mikhail Bridges, number four, which is probably my hottest take up there. <laughs> um, uh, Wendell Carter, number five. Uh, Trey Young, number six. Mohamed Bamba, number seven. Porter Jr., number eight. Miles Bridges, number nine. Bagley, number 10. And uh, Colin Sexton is, uh, for me, down to 25 right now. So, uh, yeah, we're, ours are a little bit different. And, you know, at certain points, mine's a little off the beaten path. Oh, and it's probably worth noting that my ranking is not necessarily magic specific. This is sort yeah, of just mine, my Yeah, mine word. is a little more magic specific, I think. True. Yeah. So, so not all of this is, is uh, for me, was made in keeping in mind, like, what the magic might need or are looking for. Um, so what we talk about. On this podcast might be a little different from what I have there, but yeah, that's my top ten. But yeah, but we definitely need to get introduced to some of these guys, and and the NCAA tournament is maybe when the casual NBA fan tunes into college for the first time and says, "Well, what are these guys about?" And of course, the NCAA tournament selection committee, in their infinite wisdom to make more money, decided to <laughs> make sure that every single one of these players, outside of Luka Doncic, who of course is already making money for himself legally. Uh, or not against the rules, uh, over in Europe playing for uh, Real Madrid, I believe, and tearing it up in EuroLeague, and everyone forgets that. And I know Magic fans get a little queasy around European prospects with the way some of their European prospects have gone in the first round. But rest assured, Luka Doncic is very, 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 very good. Um, and, and I think that that should be forgotten. But we're going to focus here on the American players on the NCAA tournament, guys, since that's coming up starting on Tuesday. Technically, not although none of these guys play Tuesday or, or Wednesday, so th- starting Thursday is the main tournament. Um, you have Jaron Jackson Jr. second, the Michigan State big man. What do you see? Yeah, in him? I just think. What do you see in him over over DeAndre Ayton, who's kind of who's who's been the consensus number two guy, and some people think the number one guy in this draft. Yeah, uh, ESPN's most recent mock, I believe, had eight and number one. Uh, Sam Vecini, another draft guy whose opinions I consider to be very reliable, also had eight and number one on his prospect ranking. So it's definitely um, that take is increasing in popularity for sure. I have Jackson Jr. number two because I just think his skill set is just extremely unique and extremely valuable. He's basically a 3 and D center, which... Uh, maybe two of those exist in the NBA right now. Chris Tapps, Porzingis, Miles Turner, and I guess maybe Serge Ibaka. I would, I would maybe there. throw Joel Embiid in there too. Joel Embiid, true. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm less high on his three-point shooting maybe than some people, but he can definitely stretch it out there for sure. Um, Jackson Jr. is just probably has the best defensive instincts and anticipation of any big man in this draft. 
uh, and the mobility also is a huge part of that. Um, he's just an absolute defensive dynamo. I mean, I think he's pretty much established himself as an elite defensive prospect at this point. On the offensive end is where more of the question marks have been. But the fact that I'm not sure what he's shooting right now, but most of the season he's been floating around um, 37% in that range, um, which is definitely elite for someone in his position. Um and also, his offensive game has continued to evolve, like his ability to attack on the catch, attack closeouts. He's busted out some spin moves. Um, I, I just checked, actually, he's shooting 44% on NBA threes um, on 58 attempts. So that's extremely impressive, obviously. Um, so I think that combination of skills, plus the fact that those instincts are already there at such a young age, makes him as close as you can get to a flawless prospect in, in this draft, whereas everyone else I, I feel like can be picked apart a little bit more easily. Yeah, and Jackson's Jackson's a, a really interesting prospect. Uh, you know, he's definitely got, a, you know, I, I kind of compare him a lot to, to Muhammad Bamba uh, with, from Texas because they're both shot-blocking bigs. Um, that's kind of where they make, make their hay, but Jackson is much further ahead on the offensive end. I mean, just running through some, some brief numbers for people, 11.3 points per game. In about 22 minutes per game, shooting 52% from the floor and 39.6% from from beyond the arc overall. Like you said, from NBA three, he in fewer attempts, granted, shooting a little bit little bit higher percentage, averaging 3.2 blocks per game. So 3.2 blocks per game in 22 minutes per game. That's nearly six blocks per 40 minutes. Um, so Jackson is it, he's definitely really interesting because he's he's athletic. Um, he's, he's got good defensive instincts. He's a great rim protector already. He's got some offensive skill. Uh, you, you, you know, he's got that ability to shoot. So he does have a lot of, of, of that in him. And the question I think with Jackson becomes the fouling is, you know, he's averaging 3.2 fouls per game. That's why he's playing roughly half of the game right now. Uh, and, and you wonder, I mean, you, you, you gotta believe that you can kind of coach that out of him through experience. Um, but it's it's going to take a while for him to get there. Or maybe it's an NBA thing. Maybe it's a lineup thing. I think a problem with a lot of the bigs in this year's draft is college still plays with two bigs. Uh, they don't play NBA style. And so you wonder, you stick him at center with freedom to roam the paint. Is he going to foul even more? Or is he going to be uh, a guy who can be disciplined and be that rim protector that, that you need? Yeah, and that's definitely a concern. I mean, you want him to be able to stay on the court, obviously, if you're, especially if you're drafting him number two overall. And that's something I'm going to be watching in the tournament, too. If he's going to, that's really the, the, the only question for me with him at this point. Um, can he actually stay on the floor in the big moments of the big games? Um, or is he going to get himself in foul trouble? Um, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, you know, a lot of people actually consider um, fouling in college to be a good sign for a player's um, <laughs> defensive projection, which I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that, but it's sometimes it's just a byproduct of a player being super active. And um, Not to mention college officiating is complete garbage. Yeah, that that too. And uh, his, I mean, considering the amount of blocks and, and steals too that he accumulates, especially blocks, obviously, um, the ratio actually isn't all that bad if you compare it to, to other prospects. Um, it's just that Jackson Jr. is just so much more active. He accumulates everything at a very high rate. Of course, it's still a problem. Um, but uh, th- that's something I'm probably more confident that he can grow out of once he you know, becomes a little more polished, grows a little bit, uh, matures. I th- I'm more confident in him growing out of that than I am Aiton growing out of his defensive problems. Yeah, and I think I think Aiton is, is definitely a, a hu- an interesting test case. Would 
I mean, the, the, the way, I mean, we don't know how NBA scouts view the draft. I mean, we, we have guys like, you know, like, uh, like Jonathan Givoni and, and, and some of the, some of the draft gurus for that ESPN's hired and, and, and Sam Vecini and, and all those guys, you know, we kind of, we, we, we look at what they say and, and because we, because we think they talk to scouts, you know, that they're a little bit more in tune with what the NBA is looking, looking at. Um, Jackson's been three or four on most big boards that I've seen. So it's not crazy to say that he could, he could rise to number two. Michigan State, a three seed, starts off uh, their tournament Friday night, seven seven o'clock in Detroit. They have a, I would say, a relatively clear path to the Sweet Sixteen, and it's Tom Izzo. They'll get there. Um, would a deep tournament run? Let's say, let's say Arizona bows out early because Arizona, while playing very very well right now, has had their issues throughout the year. Would a deep tournament run get uh, that Jackson has a big? Part in could that get him into the conversation for two, maybe even one? Oh, absolutely. Um, especially on the offensive end. Um, like I said, I think his defensive chops are, are pretty well established at this point. Um, you know, fouling aside, uh, the offense is really where the, the question is really where I shouldn't say the questions lie, but that's where I think people want to see more development, and that's where his upside really is. Um, because I think the the most intuitive uh, comparison be, for him is Serge Ibaka. Um, at least that's the one I've seen floated a lot. But the thing with Serge Ibaka is that he is just a terrible decision maker um, on offense, whether it's just like on the catch or dribble handoff situations, whatever. I think if Michigan State goes on a big run, a lot of that will be due to Jaron Jackson Jr. continuing to develop his offensive game and being able to stay on the court for uh, more minutes. Um, so I, I think if Michigan State does make a, a, a pretty deep run, um, that's going to bode very well for Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, uh, let's. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's definitely intriguing. I think a lot of a lot of fan. I mean, he hasn't gotten quite the the hype that other other players have gotten, but I think NBA people are definitely noticing his skill set. Let's keep it in the Midwest region. Uh, that Sweet 16 matchup on March 23rd between presumably Michigan State, sorry, TCU, Arizona State, Syracuse, and Bucknell. Uh, but you're, you're not going into Detroit and beating Michigan State. I'm sorry. Uh, but <laughs> March 23rd in Omaha, that Sweet 16 matchup against that lower pod has a, the potential for a very, very interesting Sweet 16 matchup. Uh, that lower pod uh, happening, I believe it's in Pittsburgh. Yeah, in Pittsburgh. You've got Oklahoma-Rhode Island, which is going to be a great game. Uh, just not just, not just because Trey Young's in that game, but Rhode Island's a very good team too with their, with their own NBA prospect, if I'm not mistaken, or their own first-round prospect. Um, Duke obviously has two guys who might go in the lottery as well. Um, let's start with Oklahoma. They play Rhode Island on Thursday at 12:15 in Pittsburgh. That game will be on CBS, so no excuses to miss it. Uh, but the Sooners obviously have had this very strange season. A lot of people did not think they should have been in the tournament. Um, you can certainly claim conspiracy theory and believe that they made sure to get Trey Young in there. Uh, what? What changed for Trey Young from when he was putting up crazy numbers at the beginning of the season to kind of the uneven finish that he had to the to the regular season? Well, it's definitely been a very precipitous fall. Um, so I think it's been a combination of factors. Uh, fatigue definitely plays a role. I mean, he has such a massive offensive workload um, that, you know, by the end of the season, he was bound to start slowing down. 
I think just regression to the mean in general is playing a role. Um, his shooting numbers are have come back down to earth. He's shooting, I believe, 35% on NBA threes at this point, which is good, but you know, it's not anything to really write home about. Um, and uh, it's also, I think, defenses have just learned that they need to really key in on him. And um, the fact that Oklahoma doesn't really have anyone else that can create their own shot or punish defenses for focusing on Trey Trey Young um, has definitely hurt him. So it's been a lot of different things coming at him uh, at this point. Um, And um, I I, I don't know. I I think the tournament selection was a little bit puzzling given their trajectory as a team. But, you know, seeing Trey Young in there, will definitely be exciting and you got to hope he can recapture some of the, 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 what, what he showed, some of what he showed early in the season. Yeah. And, and those numbers, by the way, they are impressive. 27.4 points per game this year, shooting 42.1% from the floor, 36.2% from beyond the arc. But that is with, according to sports reference, at least a 37.2% usage rate, which is just insanely high. But if, so 51.7% effective field goal percentage from someone that has to use so much of the ball, is a big thing. Um, obviously, turnovers are a big issue with him. He's averaging 5.2 turnovers per game. Is is that something that you think will decrease in the NBA when he's on a team where maybe he doesn't have to carry so much of the load? Definitely having a more space floor and just capable secondary ball handlers will help, help him a lot. Um, so I, I, I think that is definitely... Yeah, you know, something uh, that, that I mean, obviously, the situation at Oklahoma in some ways inflates his numbers, but it also really hurts his efficiency. So what it, what happened in the NBA probably is that those counting stats would maybe look quite as gaudy, but his efficiency would definitely improve in terms of turnovers. And um, if he doesn't have to shoot off the dribble quite as much, his shooting numbers would probably go up. Um, so that, that's definitely what you would look for at the NBA level. And some situations might be able to offer, you know, that spaced floor and secondary ball handling more than others. I'm not sure the Magic are the perfect situation for that. But I think in general, projecting him into the NBA, you can feel pretty safe about the idea that his team situation will be more conducive to his efficiency. Yeah, and and, and, and it, obviously you have to also consider the defenses will be keyed in on him a little bit more, I'm sure. Knowing the scoring that he put on kind of, I mean, I don't. It. Everyone wants to draw the Stephen Curry comparison, but I, I would have definitely. I definitely thought you know early on in Stephen Curry's career, everyone keyed in on him and tried to knock him down a few pegs, and and you know Curry struggled those first few years and were kind of successful with it. Um. So so you know it. It's gonna be. It'll be interesting to see whatever happens with Trey Young. Someone's going to take him. Um, yeah. You know, in the Magic specific situation, why don't you think he fits well with the Magic? Because. Obviously, Orlando needs a point guard right now. I mean, DJ Augustin's great and all, but no one views him as a starting point guard. Um, well, it's, it's it's not so much that I don't think the Magic should take him as much as I don't think the Magic would be conducive to his personal okay. success, if that makes sense. I mean, because, yeah, the Magic obviously need a point guard, and they need someone with high upside. And I think Trey Young fits that bill, generally speaking. But I think what you would see, at least early on, is just a, a lot of struggling for Trey Young um, because the Magic don't really have that spaced floor to offer him. Trey Young would hopefully bring that to the Magic, at least to some extent, but um, the Magic just don't really have the situation I was describing, which is a space floor with secondary ball handlers. Um, that can also create their own shot with some degree of efficiency. Um, I mean, some people might debate Aaron Gordon has that, and of course you still have Evan Fournier on the roster, but it's really, 
I just don't. I, I think there are better situations for him um, personally. But is, overall, look, I mean, go me, ahead. Let me ask you this then. I mean, I think what everyone saw in Young early in the year was a guy who, you know, like a Steph Curry, is a threat to score the moment he crosses half court. Does that, would that in its, I mean, maybe NBA defenses won't shift that much to start his career. But is that ability, does right. that ability alone stretch the floor? And is that ability alone something worth investing in? And as you, as he continues to grow, as, as your team continues to grow, you find the shooters that create more space for him. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a reasonable approach to that. I also just don't think, and maybe this is a hot take. I just don't think Trey Young is that good of a shooter. I mean, his <laughs> off the dribble numbers are definitely very good. I think he's in the 89th percentile on pull ups. But I mean, if we're talking about the Steph Curry comparison, it's completely different levels. I don't think Trey Young is quite the ridiculous. We'll ever get to that point with Steph. I mean, it's it's pretty unfair to compare a current NBA All Star MVP caliber player to a 19 year old. So, but just comparing them as prospects at the same age, Steph Curry was just a much better shooter. But where Trey Young has the edge in that in that comparison, and this is where I think the comparison actually shorts Trey Young a little bit, is Trey Young is just a much better playmaker. I mean, his turnover numbers have gotten a lot worse, but I mean overall he makes all the NBA reads off the bounce that you'd like to see. He can make passes with both hands going any direction. He's not great in traffic at this point, but he's definitely shown the flashes that you want to see. Um, just the other concern, and this is another point where the Steph Curry comparison falls apart, is his finishing at the rim, which has not been very good. He doesn't have much explosion. He doesn't have a whole lot of body control. Um, he has a decent floater game, but that is generally just an inefficient shot and can only be so far. So overall, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think – taking Trey Young would be a bad pick for the Magic by any means at all. Um, I I just think there might be more interesting options to go with. But, um, you know, it's kind of subjective at that point. Yeah, and and, uh, and honestly, I mean, it's going to feel like we're we're, we're crapping on a lot of these players throughout. I mean, like I said, all these prospects have some pretty clear flaws, I think. Um, I think that you know they're they're you're not going to take someone, and this this is this is part of my larger point about the magic and how they should approach the end of the season. You're not taking anyone and just expecting them to come in and completely change your franchise. Um, there are there are there are no guys that aren't going to need a little bit of work and 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 going to need a good situation to grow. I mean, you put any of these players, and they're all very good. These top seven that that I or at least my top seven, I feel like they're all very good. Um, and where, how they develop and how they improve and how, whether they get to their potential or, you know, work or get rid of their weaknesses is going to be dependent on how hard they're willing to work. And then also how the situation they're put in as young players and, and how they grow and mature in the league. Um, I, I really believe that. And that's why I'm, that's why I kind of bang my fists against the table and say, Tanking is the wrong way. You need to you need to build your foundations to grow these players and develop these players, and that's that's more important than where you pick in this draft because at the end of the day, it's a lottery anyway. But that that's me. That's that's that you know you know I don't need to, to rehash that debate a, a, any anymore. Um, that same pod though in Pittsburgh has I think probably it, it's starting to sound like we were talking about this before we started recording. You know I've been going back and forth with a few people on online about this guy. Um, Probably, I would. I'm going to say the most. Div- Trey Young's probably the most divisive prospect, but one of the more divisive prospects 
as far as what he's going to be in the NBA. Uh, Duke facing Iona, 2.45 p.m. on Thursday. CBS again with for that pod, for that pod potential second-round matchup between Duke and Oklahoma. The rate CBS is, is, sal- is salivating, hoping that that comes true. Sorry, Rhode Island. Uh, but um, and Iona, I guess. Uh, but what 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 do we make of Marvin Bagley? He's he's clearly a capable, talented player. Puts up some really good numbers. Is with Duke, which which helps with a little bit of notoriety. But he's been very very good for the Duke Blue Devils. Um, I I I've had him off my board all year. You know, six eleven guy that I don't view as a center. I, I don't see him fitting in with the Magic. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, I, I clearly you kind of agree. You have Bagley 10 on your list. Yeah, I, I can't really disagree too much with you. I mean, he has the motor and the work ethic that he'll be successful to some extent no matter where he goes or what happens. So, I mean, if I thought he was going to be a bust, like I said earlier, he I wouldn't have him in my top 10. I think he'll be good. But I think reaching his upside is very going to be very, very, very fit-dependent for him. Um, and uh, he, he's sort of – he's not a super archaic – like one of the knocks has been that he's sort of like a throwback big man. I think he's got enough like fluidity and ball handling ability and uh, enough of a three-point shot to where he, he can fit in the modern game. But, I mean, you would need to play him alongside – a center that can protect the rim and on the offense space the floor for him. And I just think that's an extremely rare player that, you know, and and if Marvin Bagley's biggest NBA skill is going to end up being rebounding, I I just don't know if that's the guy you want to take in the top three or five, Um, which is where I see see him. You don't see him as a, as like a foundational build your roster around player, which some people do apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, um, I don't know. I, I think there are definitely a lot of concerns regarding his frame. He has a he doesn't have much wingspan. His shoulders are very narrow, which doesn't bode well for his ability to put on upper body mass. Um, those are things you that are absolutely pivotal for protecting the rim as a center, whether it's contesting with verticality or just affecting shots, making weak side rotations. He doesn't have really the instincts to do that at all either. Um, so he, at this point, he's a, a massive defensive liability and I don't really see that changing in the NBA. He's, he's decent in space. He can defend smaller players on switches, which is definitely important, but that's not really where you make your money as a big man in the NBA. Um, I think he needs to be a successful player. He needs to be, to, to improve his interior defense for sure. Um, and in general, he's just this guy who I think, and we talked about this before the pod, he's sort of built to feast on weaker competition and that's not a huge knock on him because that can be an important guy to have in the NBA whether it's on second units or just being a second or third star on a team um, but that's I think a big part of why his counting stats have been so impressive in college it's because he you know I mean college is obviously a lot weaker competition than the NBA um, so that benefits him a lot like it does a lot of players but yeah overall I just I think there are a lot of question marks there and you got to kind of look past the counting stats and the big games to to um, really evaluate any prospect and it's especially true with Bagley you know, this is, I mean, this is the, I mean, Bagley, I, 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 I agree with a lot of that. I mean, I, I definitely have questions about his defense. Coach K notorious, notoriously hates zone defenses. 
Duke's been playing his own defense for most of the year, and I and honestly, a lot of that is because of Bagley. And even within that zone defense, you know, I watched the Notre Dame game last week in the ACC tournament. Bagley had a fantastic game that night. Um, I think he had thirty something points. Notre Dame was attacking him every play in that zone defense. You you don't see teams attack individual players in his own defense, uh, which is which is just really amazing to watch. And, and Notre Dame was scoring pretty effectively in it. Um, so it's 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 definitely definitely something to consider. Uh, the question will be whether Bagley can get better. If he has a great motor, there's no reason to think he shouldn't get better at that. Um, but I think when it comes to the magic, and and, and this will I'll get into this too when when we talk about like, I think the next guy I want to chat about uh, here as well. Um, when it comes to the magic, if Bagley can't play center, which which I think you and I both agree, he's probably not fit to play a play center in the NBA NBA the way it's go, the way the league's going is he worth giving up Aaron Gordon on because because you can't have Gordon Isaac and Bagley that 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 doesn't make sense that that's what I've been trying to negotiate with myself because I'm not entirely sure at this point because I mean Aaron Gordon's three-point shot is I, I mean, it's it didn't improve as much as we might have thought at the beginning of the season. But he's he definitely he's definitely come back down to earth. If you look at his splits since probably January, it's like he's shooting sub thirty from beyond the arc. I think. Yeah, and um, I've been sort of throughout the season positing his rolling three point uh, percentage, his rolling true shooting averages. Um, it's dropped off pretty precipitously, but yeah. you still have to be encouraged at, at least at the idea that he can maybe be a catch-and-shoot guy at around 33%. I think if that can stay there and if Jonathan Isaac can be the same type of shooter, which isn't really asking a lot, I don't think, um, then you could potentially throw another big man in there. Um, it's it's That's a little bit of a tough fit for sure. But, I mean, if you have a, a guy who's a defensive liability as a big man like Marvin Bagley, I think Jonathan Isaac in some ways is the ideal front court partner as either the four or defensive five because Jonathan Isaac does have the size and the instincts to compensate for that. But obviously that fit is extremely dicey because none of those guys are dependable shooters at this point. Um, the spacing would not be good. <laughs> it would not be good at all. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think that fit really makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's def- it's definitely going to be interesting to see what what Bagley does, and uh, you know, obviously he's he's a real. Yeah, I mean, he's a good prospect. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Like uh, like he's he's still so, someone's going to draft him and be very happy with him, and he's going to produce numbers. And um, it, the question is going to be whether he's someone you can build around, whether he's someone that you can rely on to be. Uh, of kind of foundational piece to your team and and like 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 I think we both hint at with the way the magic are currently constructed it's a tough ask to 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 insert Bagley in there um successfully uh, I think um the other guy on duke that's worth mentioning Wendell Carter um I, I so much focuses on Bagley is is when you have Wendell Carter as the better prospect what what makes Wendell Carter the better prospect in your in your mind yeah and I've I've had it that way for a decent while at this point. For I mean, for a while, actually, had, I had Bagley higher, at the, especially at the beginning of the season. But I felt like every time I was watching Duke, most of the game, I was thinking to myself, Wendell Carter looks like the better prospect, except for when Bagley shows his flashes. And then uh, at a certain point, I got to it like uh, I just figured, I mean, Wendell Carter is consistently showing more NBA skills. 
um, than Bagley is, at least to me, more projectable skills. I think Bagley, I mean, sorry, Carter has been showing more projectable skills. Carter has the higher floor, in my opinion. He's a lot more skilled, more polished. His passing ability is extremely impressive, arguably the best passing big in this class um, besides Ethan Happ, who's probably, to me, at least a second rounder. Um, can't really do much else besides that. Um <laughs> And Wendell Carter is also, uh, I think, the better shooter. His percentages are at least better, um, even if the volume is maybe a little bit smaller, but I'd have to double-check that. Um, Wendell Carter is also much better defensively. He doesn't quite have Bagley's mobility. He's not very good defending out in space, but the instincts are definitely there. He has the size and the strength to defend um, at the rim, whether it's against uh, traditional NBA centers or just guards attacking on drives, whatever the case may be. I have a lot more confidence in Carter's defensive ability, just straight up. Um, I think Carter is also more likely to become a valuable offensive player. I mean, Carter doesn't have the same creation potential, the same upside as Bagley for sure. Um, But, I mean, if Wendell Carter becomes Al Horford, which is the comp I've seen floated around a lot, I think that's pretty much yeah, I mean, yeah, that's take that every day. Take that in the top five, at least for me. I'm I'm a huge Al Horford guy. Um, so, yeah, I, I, at this point, that's why I have Carter comfortably higher than Bagley. Yeah, and, and Carter's stats, because uh, I've got sports reference off, 13.8 points per game, 9.3 rebounds per game, which is impressive considering all the rebounds that Bagley gobbles up, uh, shooting 56.4% from the floor, 2.2 blocks per game as well, which you know blocks typically translate to the NBA. Um, before we move on, Ricky, um, I do have to, 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 to get a word in from, 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 from a, a great valuable resource or a great source of fun, at least, for the NCAA tournament. It's, it's time to talk about the boatload of money you can make this week betting at my bookie. I mean, you, you got your tournament bracket turned in already. I don't know who you have in the final four. I don't even know who I have in the final four. Um, but, uh. But I've, I did my first run through. I always pick Arizona. I picked Arizona again. I'm, I hate myself for it, but they're really good. I'm telling you, this is their year. This is finally the year. No, they're not going to win. I, I got to do But if, if you haven't checked out my bookie, this is the perfect time to get into the action because the madness of March is here. Lay down some money and score big on college hoops. Join me and thousands of online players and start betting at mybookie.ag. If you're sick and tired of getting the runaround when you ask for a payout, mybookie.ag is the place to go. I would only recommend a service to, the, to that's been good to me and my listeners. That's why I urge you to make your way to mybookie. You win, they pay fast and without any hassles. You're wasting your time betting anywhere else. They also have live in-game betting so you can even place a bet after tip-off. That's, that's always good to know. Join now and mybookie will match your first deposit with a 50% bonus. You can even... Enter for a chance to win their million dollar bracket challenge. You could could you use a million dollars, Ricky? Uh yeah. <laughs> I think I, I mean, could. Yeah, I think we all could. Use the promo code locked on NBA. That's locked on NBA to activate the offer. Visit my bookie today. Play, win, and get paid. Uh, just like DeAndre Ayton, apparently. Uh but uh <laughs> um but uh I'm joking. I'm joking. No one cares that he got paid. It's it's stupid. Um, he's going to get paid next year anyway. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. 
Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, but that's either here nor there. Before we get into Aiden, kind of on that same point of guys who, uh, who who may not fit the magic but are still very, very good players. You you wrote your 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 post previewing uh, Michael Porter Jr. He's a guy that that very few that really none of us that watch college have seen. I you know I don't keep track of high school recruiting as as closely as as I should because I'm so busy with NBA stuff and um you know you you a lot of that a lot of the information that we have is based on his high school days. He's played what one game since coming back from injury. Missouri taking on Florida State Friday night 9:50 on TBS in Nashville. I know a lot of listeners to this show who might be Florida State fans will get a good look at Michael Porter Jr. At this point, what should the expectations be for Michael Porter Jr. playing in these games, and what does he need to show to prove that he's healthy to NBA scouts? It's tough because uh, the game against Georgia was very, very rough for him. He didn't have the same explosion. His his shots were almost without fail short of the basket um he clearly needs to get back into rhythm his athleticism clearly isn't all the way back so um and i don't know if this is going to be a very long tournament run for him they could easily lose this game against florida state he might have one game to show what he's got um so really uh, you got to think for him it might have been better to just stay especially since he's i mean stay off the court um because clearly he isn't 100 percent at this point but um i mean he's back so clearly he he must believe that he needs to needs to and is capable of raising his draft stock in some way i think what you will look for in terms of his his physical health is if he, he can get that explosion back if those shots can start falling again if he's getting that same lift on his jumper that he has throughout his career prior to missouri um, those are really the two things you got to look for because I mean that outing against Georgia was, was rough. Um, and I mean for me, I mean watching that, this might have been kind of uh, a little bit too reactionary on my part, but it caused me to bump him down a peg or two because the injury concerns suddenly felt a lot more real for me. And really, the things that he kind of failed to do in that game were concerns I had with him to begin with. Um, so, so yeah, it, he's he's got a lot to prove for sure after that outing. Yeah, and, and I don't, I, I mean, and and he what scored twelve points or something in that in that game. It wasn't like he was completely ineffective. He was probably shooting a bit too much, and and you got to wonder if if Missouri maybe, I mean, Missouri as a team might have been better off not having him in there because it, it felt like he was trying to do too much at times too, or trying to take over the game too. And that's not what they probably need him to do right now. Um, to me, it, it feels like it's very much Porter is just trying to prove that he's healthy. Uh, healthy, that that yes, I I am a real person. I exist, uh, and you can watch me play basketball now, um, which 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 is important. Um, regardless, when it comes to the draft process, teams are going to want to take a very close look at his medicals. He's gonna he's gonna have that back examined more times than any any other time in, in in his life. Honestly, if I were his agent, I would say, hey, everyone. Come to University of Missouri for a medical day. Bring your staff. Ask all your questions to the doctors that he has. Take a look at take a look at him yourself, all in one place, so you don't have to go place to place to place to place and have the same same tests done or the same questions asked. And that may still happen anyway. But um, it, Porter's going to have to be very open 
with his with his injury and and his, his medical records to show that this is not going to be a recurring issue because back I mean back injuries do not go away. That's that is a huge red flag in my book that this guy has back issues has has had major back surgery at at 19 years old or 18 years old or whatever it is. Um, I don't care how young the guy is, but he's obviously still a very talented player, which makes it all the more interesting to see what happens to him in the draft. I mean, you wrote about him on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. What is it that makes him such a special player uh, or made him really the presumptive number one pick entering the draft this year? I mean, the dude's just a shot maker. Like he, I mean, throughout high school and in um, you know the various competitions he played with other prospects entering the NCAA season, um, international competition and stuff, he just he just gets buckets. Really, he's not the most. I was talking about his explosion earlier. He doesn't really have that first step explosion, but you really see his athleticism in the open court. He's very fluid. He can get up off of two feet, which also helps him a little bit as a weak side rim protector, which I think is a very intriguing skill for him potentially going forward, especially if he's playing the four in the NBA. Um, and, and man, I mean, he can shoot, pull up threes, every level in mid range. He's a solid finisher around the basket. Um, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. The man just can score. Yeah, and obviously that's that's a good skill to have if, if you if you want to be an NBA yeah. player or be a superstar NBA player. Um, yeah. The, the question with him, of course, when it comes to the Magic and why like I have him seventh among that group of seven that I talk about all the time when it comes to the draft is I don't know if he fits this roster. Um, certainly doesn't unless you're willing to let Aaron Warren walk this summer. Right, right. Like that's that's the problem with a player like Porter. He is literally a clone, positionally, not not skill wise, but a clone of Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac to some extent. Is is that enough? Is 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 if Michael Porter passes all his physicals and 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 looks healthy, is that enough to let to let you make Aaron Gordon walk this summer? Uh, no. I mean, I don't think the fit is completely impossible. It's kind of contingent on uh, how much you believe Jonathan Isaac can play large swaths of minutes at the five, which at this point is probably a little bit out of his range. But he can, especially going into next season, I'm he, I'm, I'm sure he could he could play a little bit more in that area. Um, if Aaron Gordon can take more of a power forward role on offense, Porter Jr. Uh, three role on offense, and kind of reverse that on defense, so Aaron Gordon can guard the guard a smaller player, Porter. I've always been for that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Um, and I think that could potentially work, but like I said, it's contingent on whether Isaac can play the five. Um, I, I don't think I would, you know, I mean, Porter Jr. is just such an intriguing prospect. He is, uh, he there, there are things that he can do that Aaron Gordon probably will never be able to do in terms of just his pull-up shooting ability and his isolation scoring. The thing with him, though, and that's always kind of bugged me about him, is that he is not the Kevin Kevin Durant is like the comparison everyone thinks of when when uh, talking when when they want to bring up like a hyperbolic comp for him. Um, I don't think it's true because I don't think it's accurate because uh, Kevin Durant is first of all a historically elite shooter. Michael Porter Jr. is he can shoot threes, but he's not quite there. Um, another thing with him is that he prefers to shoot over defenders um, rather than actually using his handle to get by defenders and create advantages, um, which is you know that that's fine. I guess he can make those shots, but it, and that goes back to the what I said about his first step, which isn't quite there. Basically, it's a little concerning to me that 
um, his scoring isn't conducive to maybe initiating driving kick sequences, forcing rotations, forcing help defenses. Um, it's not conducive towards like um, being able to create for others, um, which I, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily going to doom him as a prospect, but it does kind of caused me to pump the brakes on him a little bit just having that type of player i think he's a little bit closer to harrison barnes than kevin durant and if you know harrison barnes is a good player but i mean i just don't know if that it it really it it depends on what aaron gordon gets offered obviously but um i I don't think that's necessarily enough for me to just say bye-bye to to ag yeah uh, and i think that's 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 fair and and again fair or not right or wrong uh, with the Aaron Gordon question, I think fans would be very upset if the Magic let Aaron Gordon walk. And, you know, maybe Orlando's willing to Philadelphia this thing and just draft a bunch of players in the same position and say, oh, we'll figure it out later. <laughs> um, or we'll just completely waste and, you know, destroy the confidence of the guy that we don't, that we actually don't want, aka Nerlens Noel and Jalil Okafor. But, you know, I don't think that's a good way to do business. I honestly think that's one of the reasons Sam Hinkie uh, was kind of pushed out the way he was, was was because they they flubbed that up so much. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, Let's move on uh, to a guy who many people are are beginning to whisper should be the number one overall pick in this year's draft over Luka Doncic, which I still think is a little crazy, and and it seems like you are not quite on this boat either. Um, But Arizona, uh, Luka, uh, DeAndre Ayton had... An incredible two nights in the Pac-12 tournament. Got everyone super excited. You're beginning to hear buzz for National Player of the Year from him, which I find it hard to believe the the stodgy college basketball writers or the NCAA will allow to happen considering the the, the quote-unquote dark cloud over his head over <laughs> him looking to you know make a buck off his, off his talent and, and ability. But regardless of that, Arizona ha- has a ton of talent. They're a very good team. What is it that makes DeAndre Ayton so special? I mean, I was most of the season just insanely high on him, and I actually almost at one point did put him over Luka Doncic. I mean, what you have with him is just, I mean, there's nothing he can't do on offense. I mean, the only comp that I can even think of, and this one is probably a little bit just hyperbolic is he's just a hard player to drop comps for, but it's young Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, just the athleticism, the strength, the ability to actually put the ball on the floor, score in the post, just knowing how to play the game on. I'm sorry. I kind of see it. I didn't think of that one. Yeah, no. Yeah. Just, I mean, he's not, he's not as good as Shaq, Shaq, but I I do kind of see the similarities. Right, yeah. I mean, Shaq is they're similar players, but Shaq is just a, a much. Better. I've been I've been going I've been going it with the more offensively polished Andre Drummond. 
Yeah, I could see that too. I, I think that shorts Aiton's athleticism a little bit. Okay. I mean, Drummond is certainly athletic, but the vertical leaping ability is super impressive with Aiton. The second jump ability, he can get up a second time really quick. Um, and of course, there's the shooting uh, touch that he has, which has just been very impressive. He hasn't shot very well from NBA three, and his percentage isn't great in general. Not sure what exactly it is off the top of my head right now, but he, he's not quite elite range, but he is a pop threat. He's a roll threat. Um, so that's awesome right off the bat he can get his own shot out of the post he's an amazing post passer which i think is a super underrated skill of his especially in double team situations um whereas bagley tends to lose his composure there and turn the ball over ayton just handles it like a champ and identifies diagnoses the defense and finds seams to exploit with his passing which i think is just uh, super impressive on his part um, and I mean, like I said, there's actually probably the one thing he can't do on offense is like set screens. Well, I, I've never really seen, uh, <laughs> seen this issue with a prospect to this degree, especially given the rest of his skill set. but he just doesn't have a very good sense of timing or, or setting feel the angle right his, or, yeah, uh, setting the angle right or just like actually getting into could that the, be, could that be, I mean, not to, not to give eight and a pass. Cause it's not something I've noticed. Could that be the guards? I mean, he's got some good guards in Raleigh Hawkins and, and Alonzo Trier. Um, but they're also more, I don't think they're, they're necessarily fantastic pick and roll and it might be Aiton's why they're not fantastic in the pick and roll. But yeah, it's, no, it's, I mean, that's, I think that's definitely part of the reasons why his role man, his efficiency as a role man in the pick and roll is, is not as high as it could be. But I mean, he's just kind of rigid as a screener. He doesn't really have a good sense of when to actually set his feet and make contact with the, def- the, the defensive player. Um, it's, it's not a huge problem, obviously, but it's something I've noticed that just learn. a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely something you can learn. It's just a little bit odd considering like how incredibly good he is at literally everything else on offense. Um uh but yeah, other than that, I mean, the dude's just a powerhouse. Yeah, and and I mean I, and and I'm all, I've always come away very very impressed with Aiden, especially considering uh he's essentially playing out of position uh with with uh, Dursan Ristich playing center for the most part, which I think yep. is Aiden's not a power forward in the NBA. Let's I mean he, he they're they're getting away with it in college cuz college is weird. But that that kid is going to be playing center, and he he'll bang around, and he can he can take a little bit of the punishment, and he's I mean he's really athletic, it's, and he's get he's gotten better as the season goes on. That's that's what's really impressed me about Aiton. He is he seems to be better every time I watch him. Like I I, I notice his flaws less and less. But having said that, his flaw is a pretty big one, or at least a, a, enough to to give you some pause perhaps. And that's his def- his defense and his defensive awareness maybe isn't quite yeah. where it needs to be. I mean, I think he's got the ability. He's, he's he's a decent shot blocker, but every time I watch him, I'm like, he it's not natural. Like you can tell he he kind of has to think a beat to mm-hmm. to be in the right spot defensively. And it's not that he doesn't get there or doesn't try to get there. It's it and it's not like Nikola Vucevic bad either, but um because he has the athleticism to recover, but it, it it definitely feels like it takes him a, a, a split second late to diagnose the play and get to the right spot, and that gets you in trouble, especially when you go up a grade to the NBA. Yeah, and I think there are two excuses for him that are built in a little bit. One is that he came to the game late. Maybe he hasn't fully developed his feel on both ends at this point. 
Um, the other is that Sean Miller at Arizona generally goes for a more conservative defensive scheme. So um, he doesn't maybe that's part of why he doesn't rotate all the time or rotate as quickly as other players. Um, but overall, I mean, some of the lapses he's had defensively have just been downright embarrassing. I mean, um, it, it's, and it's the sort of thing that it's. And I, I mentioned this in the Slack chat. It's there's not really a history of guys that don't really get defense in college, just suddenly understanding yep. it in the pros. Um, for I mean, for a while when I when and, that's, I was and that, that's where my Andre Drummond comparison comes in more. It, it's mm-hmm. it, Andre Drummond in college. It it looked like he didn't care. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and like, I feel like whenever I watch Andre Drummond, I, I think he's going to be a good defensive player because he has all the physical tools and it, he's just not, he's just not as good defensively as you think he should be. And that's, that's kind of where my, on, that's where like my Andre Drummond comparison really came from because Drummond offensively is in the right spot. He does all the athletic things that a big man can, you want a big man to do, but he, you just want a little bit more from him sometimes. And that's yeah. where I feel like Aiden's at right now. Yeah, and I don't really see that going away. I mean, you never say never with such a young prospect, but um, I think that's just going to be a word that follows him wherever he goes, pretty much. Yeah, um, he'll be interesting. Arizona plays Buffalo. I'm, I'm giving the times here. Thursday night, 940 uh, from Boise, Idaho. That'll be on CBS. Dale, their potential second-round matchup is Kentucky, so made for TV once again. Because the NCAA tournament loves us. Um, the last of the big guys that I want to talk about, and we'll, we'll touch on him real briefly here, uh, because we're we're getting short on time a little bit, and there are, there's some other things we want to get to. But Mo Bamba, um, he's John. He's a John Hammond player, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, right off the bat, man, seven nine wingspan would be the largest in the NBA, maybe the largest I can um, in, what's, in what's history. What's Rico at? Uh, Rudy Gobert, I think, is like seven seven. I want to say he's a little bit shorter, but Bamba would be the the longest, um, maybe ever. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of anyone with larger. And of course, we only have measurements going back so far. But I mean, if he's not the longest player ever, he he is certainly up there. Yeah, and Bamba um, offensive skills are very rudimentary still. Um, I think he falls in love with his jumper a little bit too much, but his mechanics look okay. Like it looks like he'll be able to develop a decent jumper, um, but defensively he is probably the. I, I mean, I, it's either him or him or Jackson project as the best defensive players, in, best defensive big men in this draft. And if you haven't noticed, we're, we're talking a lot about big men in this draft. There's a lot of lot of bigs in this draft. Um, you know, between Bamba, Jackson, Bagley, uh, Aiton, uh, Carter. A lot of centers in this draft, and 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 while I think a lot of people say, why would the Magic need another center? They have twenty of those already. <laughs> you know, you take the best player, you take kind of the best player available when you're drafting as high as the Magic are going to draft. Um, sorry to give uh, Mobamba short shrift, but Texas plays Nevada Friday afternoon at four thirty. That's on TBS from Nashville. Uh, um, that'll be an interesting game to say the least. Nevada, not a bad team, but Texas, Texas really struggled as well. So seven ten matchup. You never know what'll happen in those. Um, Last guy I want to talk about, a guy that you have very high on your list, um, a guy that I really like but not quite in that group of seven. Uh, what makes Macal Bridges so special? Well, uh, pretty much the consensus on him uh, right now is that he'll slide right into the NBA as a valuable 3 and D guy. Yeah. Um, the consensus is that he's a high-floor guy, he'll have a role immediately, and he'll 
contribute immediately and that's valuable but i think he's been kind of shorted on his upside a little bit Uh, he's a perfect example of um i think the need in draft analysis to separate how a guy plays from what he can do when you're projecting him tatum was also an example of that jason tatum in last year's draft like in in villain at villanova mikhail bridges is pretty much just a spot-up guy he's a three and d guy Whatever. But especially this year, he's shown a lot of flashes of pull-up shooting, being able to handle in the pick-and-roll at times, and his efficiency efficiency numbers in those areas of his game have been really, really impressive. Um, really, the concern for me is whether he can show more of that, get a little bit more ingress- aggressive with his shooting and willingness to create his own shot rather than just fading into the background as a role player. And the tournament is the perfect situation for him to do that, maybe show off some more confidence in big moments, take some big shots, have some big games, especially since his team is obviously going to go on on a big run. Um, the, for a lot of people, I'm sure they're the, the tournament favorite. Um and yeah, I just think the flashes he's shown of being able to create his own shot make his upside pretty tantalizing as potentially down the road becoming a Paul George kind of guy. Um, obviously, you never want to peg a, a young prospect with such a, a, a high comp like that early. Um but, I mean, I, I think the upside has definitely been understated. And even if he doesn't reach that upside, the floor is there and he'll be valuable. Um, so, yeah, I, I just can't get enough of the guy. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've, I have him as, as probably my best guy outside of that group for that reason. I mean, I think he is ready to contribute and play a role in the NBA immediately. I think he's ready to come in and, and just do something, whether it's, you know, I, I don't think you need to draft him to be your star, um, but he'll come in and come off the bench and give you a solid contribution off the bench until he's ready to do more. And, and, you know, everyone wants to focus in on the stars, especially when you're drafting in the lottery and taking some huge risks. Sometimes you, you make the safe play and it works out. Um, but, you know, I, I think where the Magic are at, especially with potentially having a top three pick, you know, having top three lottery odds, um, they've got to look at trying to find that foundational piece. And so, uh, you know, I want to kind of close this out. We've obviously got a lot of bigs. We've talked a little bit about fit, but you know, as we get closer to this draft and as the Magic season winds down, where do you fall on this scale for the Magic? As far as do you take best player available, or do you try and fill one of your—I mean, one of your many needs with this draft? I think just in general, you got to go best player available, but I think it's important to keep in mind like a larger vision of the team you're trying to build. Um, and that obviously falls in line with whether you plan to match whatever offer sheet Aaron Gordon receives, um, how much you believe in Jonathan Isaac. I personally believe you should believe in him a lot because he's very good. Um, so I think you should, ge- you should generally just go for upside, but also keep those guys in mind for sure, because I think they are long-term pieces and you don't want it to be too awkward. You want these guys to all have room to develop alongside each other. Um, and as far as picking one guy, it's, I mean, Luka Doncic is the obvious one. I mean, I, he, if I made individualized big boards for every single team in the NBA, I think he would be number one on pretty much all of them. Um, I think he can just fit anywhere and be really good. So obviously that will be true as well for the magic. It's it's really the only thing there is I don't think the Magic will be picking high enough to draft him. But yeah, as far as philosophy goes, keep fit in mind a little bit, but go for upside. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see 
what direction the Magic go in. Um, obviously, there are lots of players to look at. The NCAA tournament is not the only piece of information the Magic will have or any NBA team will have is a piece of the pot of the puzzle. Um, we, we've talked about this a lot. There are a lot of players that are very similar, um, that are very, very close, I think. I, I mean, we, we, we have our favorites. You have your favorites. I have my favorites. People on the internet have their favorites. Uh, NBA scouts will likely have their favorites. NBA executives will have their favorites. Um, what I think is really going to separate a lot of these players is the interview process and getting these guys in the gym, seeing how they're coached, and getting to know them as people, which NBA teams have not been able to do. They've started doing their background research for sure. They have an understanding a little bit from secondhand sources who these guys are, but they're going to want to get these guys in a room and figure out exactly who they are. And, and, and the Magic are obviously going to have to do a lot of work, no matter where they're drafting, to be ready for this really important pick because um, I, I think we can all agree that this is a foundational pick for Jeff Weltman. Um, this is a this is a pick that's going to kind of set the course for the rest of his tenure as general manager and or president of basketball operations and the direction that he wants this team to go. Um, you know, building around Aaron Gordon, assumedly Jonathan Isaac, and whoever you pick feels like the start of at least something you can believe in, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is a this is like you said, a foundational pick for this new front office. Um, and I mean, there's a plenty of upside, like we were saying before in this draft. Um, there's a lot of creation and initiator potential to be found. So uh, there's there's a lot of directions that they can go. Um, and, you know, in that top 10, um, I don't think you can really go wrong at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's how good this draft is, really, that that there are good options all up and down this draft. Um, you know, obviously there's some caveats maybe or some concerns maybe, but definitely good options. So, you know, we're, there, there are a lot of flaws to pick apart. They're young guys, a lot of promise too. Um, Ricky, I want to thank you for coming on here and helping us uh, preview and talk about the NCAA tournament a little bit. Uh, where can people find you on, online? Uh, you, you, have, you do some great draft content as well, some great magic content as well, in addition to what you write on Orlando Magic Daily. Well, I appreciate that. Um, my Twitter handle is at Skricka1, S-C-R-I-C-C-A-1. Um, and yeah, I'm just co- trying to pump out content as much as possible. I'm trying to compile different resources with Google Sheets for the draft and for NBA salary cap stuff. Um, so I, I'm working on that stuff all the time, working on articles for Orlando Magic Daily. Um, yeah, just find me on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Be sure to give him a follow. And of course, we'll probably circle back around and have another discussion once the lottery order is set. I'm sure. Mark off the lottery date. I want, I want to make sure you're on with us for the, uh, for the, for the live lottery Google Hangout that, that I usually do. Um, hey, I'm so, down. So we'll definitely, we'll definitely plan that out as well. Um, but for now, uh, I want to thank everyone again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic and the Orlando Magic Daily Podcast. Thanks to Ricky for being on the air. To, to talk to us a little bit about the draft ahead of the NCAA tournament. And you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr-omd, as well as uh, at Locked on Magic. And, of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, check out orlandomagicdaily.com, as well as follow us on Twitter at omagicdaily. For Ricky, this has been Philip Ross. For, for this has been Philip Ross and Mike of Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic. I will see you all again tomorrow for another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. 
part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 